with you. We've been in this series called Jesus in His Own Words. I've been excited about it. We're going to keep running into it next week. But here's what we've been saying. We've been talking about this idea of fake news. And a lot of you have talked to me about this and even sent me some fake news stories. Fake news is just news that gets reported as true, but it's actually false. And it gets reported as though it is true. And then what happens over time, it gets repeated as though it's true. And the more it gets repeated, eventually it gets believed by a whole bunch of people, right? And so it's a global phenomenon. Uh, It's a national issue, right? It's something that's had regional and even local impact. We've talked about that. Not only that, but we said this, that this idea of fake news is something that's had historical impact. And so we've looked at a couple stories that we have learned in U.S. history that didn't really happen the way we were told they happened, right? And so this idea of fake news even has historical impact. Uh, You could really dig into this and see that it has implications on how some people see the future, right? Uh, There are some groups of people, even I would say cults, that have uh, reported things are going to happen in the future that that were false, they were fake, and they had great implications. Some of you are old enough to remember the the cult, Heaven's Gate. Raise your hand if you remember and know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, UFO is going to come and pick us up and take us and this, that, and the other thing. And so these people killed themselves, so on and so forth. It had great implications. And fake news is a real deal is what we're saying, right? And we said that most of the things that we've talked about are relatively inconsequential. Obviously, if you take your own life, that has a great consequence. But there is nothing, ready, nothing of greater consequence in your life than what you believe about Jesus. That's what we've said, that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And it's why we're doing this series, because when you say the name Jesus, most people have heard the name And for most people, probably most people in this room, there are certain pictures that come to your mind when you say Jesus. And those pictures probably are directed by some source. And that's where you got your picture of Jesus. Maybe it's what your grandma told you. You saw it in a book. You watched it on a movie. But there are many people who have all kinds of various pictures of Jesus. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where most people have heard of Jesus. But many people have an inaccurate view of Jesus or a incomplete view of Jesus. And so every week we've thrown new pictures up there uh, and I try to keep it fresh, right? Uh, I like the Twitter Jesus. I had followers before there was Twitter. Superman Jesus. Uh, All of us love Jesus inviting the children on his lap, right? That's a pretty popular church one. It's in scripture. He invited children. He said, I want the children to come to me. Uh, Over here on the left column in the middle, somebody, uh, one of you sent me this last week. You said, this is my favorite picture of Jesus, laughing Jesus. They like to picture Jesus laughing. Uh, In the middle of the picture is is one that may create a little stir among you because I know there are some of you that are Shaq fans. You read the book. You watched the movie. I say, be careful, okay? That's just my little advice for the day. Be careful because what they're doing is trying to give you a picture of God and the Trinity and things like that. And I would say this, that remember you're watching a movie, okay? Remember you're reading a book. And I know some people that know more about what this book has to say about God than what the Bible has to say about God. And so I'd be really careful because what you're getting is a picture of Jesus. CNN is on this search for finding Jesus. So we said it might be a good idea to do a series on Jesus, right? And why not just go right to the source? Why not just say, hey, Jesus, who did you say you were, right? And, and he said, I am seven times in the book of John. And then he filled in the blank. He said, I'll tell you who I am. And he filled in the blank seven times in the book of John. We've been looking at those I am statements. First week we said, Jesus said, I am bread of life, right? I'm the source of spiritual life. He fed 25,000 people a little boy's lunch, and then he said, hey, 
that miracle, remember this, when Jesus does miracles, remember this, this is key. When he does miracles in the Bible, be careful how you read that. Because some people like get caught up in that and they forget that every time Jesus does a miracle, he's pointing to something of greater significance. The big deal, it wasn't the fact that he fed all those people. The big deal was what he taught them after that. And he said, hey, I gave you guys all bread to eat, but the deal is I'm the bread of life. Spiritually speaking, I'm the source of spiritual life. Spiritually speaking, I'm the sustainer of your spiritual life. That's what he's saying. And then he said, after they said, I am the light of the world, and we said he was under these, these big candelabras, okay, that would have represented the presence and the glory of God to the Jewish people. And he said, hey, I realize you come and celebrate this, but I am the light of the world. And then last week, last week he said probably his most controversial thing to date, right? It created quite a stir because last week Jesus simply said, I am. <laughs> and it was a little confusing because like, I am what, Right? And as we looked at it, he was saying something very, very definitive. He was saying, I am God. Like everybody who heard him understood, that's what he's saying. I am the great I am is what he was saying. He said, I'm the only one who has the authority to set you free from your sins. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm the only one with the authority to to set a place for you at God's family table. And I'm the only one with the authority to lead your life. That's what he was saying. And it created quite a stir. This week, we're going to go to John 10, okay? So it's going to feel like we're skipping a chapter, but we're not going to. Because in John 10, here's what he's going to say. Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. You ought to write that down because for a lot of you, that is not new news. Some of you, maybe it is. If you didn't grow up in church or, or maybe this Bible thing is new, this whole conversation is new to you, and, and we say that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, you might be like, man, I don't really get that because there's not a lot of shepherds running around, right? I mean, not many of us in the room have, hey, here's my friend Bob, and he's a shepherd, right? And so it's a little bit of an archaic picture to us. We're like, I, I don't know that I totally get it. We might be able to, in our mind, say, ah, probably when he said that, here's what he meant. But if you didn't grow up with church, and this is a new conversation, like, man, Dan, you're really going to have to work hard today to make sense of this, and we're going to do our best. Some of y'all grew up in church, and this is the, the picture of Jesus you love the most, right? Because it's very popular. And when I say Jesus is the good shepherd, here's what you think. You think Psalm 23. And if you know Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And you love that Psalm. In fact, you have something in your house. Maybe it's in a frame. Maybe it's a quilt, whatever it is. And it says that on there. And you love the picture, the Lord is my shepherd. You love songs about the Lord is my shepherd. You love books about that. And you've heard preachers talk about it, right? I mean, I've heard tons of preachers talk about it. They talk about Jesus being the shepherd, and they tell you what a shepherd did in their culture. And then they talk about we're the sheep, and they talk about sheep. And I always love that, right, because I always leave, and and they say, hey, we are the sheep, and sheep are stinky, stupid, and stubborn, right? And I was like, that feels good, right? And and here's the deal. Let me just say this right up front. And some of that is implicitly in John 10. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, some of those things are implicitly in there. But listen close. Ready? Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, will never make sense to you, will never explode, will never pop, will never have the power in your life. It will never explode in your life unless you understand the story in John 9. Because the story in John 9 is what makes sense out of John 10 when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He didn't say, I'm the good shepherd, so that we would have something to put on a bumper sticker, t-shirt, or in our house. He said it in response to a story. You're saying, what's that story? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it. John 9 begins in verse 1. Check this out. As he, that's Jesus, went along, he, 
Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Get that in your head. I say this all the time. Read the Bible in color, not black and white. This guy ain't ever seen anything. Nothing. He's relegated to being a beggar in his life. And here's what happens. Jesus sees a man born blind, but his disciples don't see a man. They see a theological problem. You're saying, how do you know that, Dan? Read verse 2. His disciples, if you're not sure what that means, that's just Jesus' followers, ask him, Rabbi, that just means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They have a question. They're like, this dude's blind. Somebody did something wrong. Now, now that is a pretty common philosophy even in our world today, right? If there's something wrong with you, then somebody did something wrong. If somebody's got a sickness, somebody did something wrong. And so his disciples, they don't see a man born blind. They see a theological problem to be solved. Some of you need to hear what Jesus says next. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He said, don't you dare try to fit it in a neat category like that. Here's why some of you need to hear this. It's not the point of the sermon today, but you need to hear this this morning. Because here's the deal. Some of you are listening to preachers on TV And they're telling you that if there's something wrong in your life, it must fit in one of these categories. And Jesus is saying this, turn that guy off. Okay, you hear me? I'm trying to say that in love. But you need to turn that guy off, put that guy's book down because it doesn't fit in that neat of a category. In fact, he goes on to say this, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's like, there's something bigger going on. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work while I'm in the world. There he says this again, I am the light of the world. And then the story gets interesting. Because if you know the story in John 9, look here a second, we'll just tell it. Jesus says, this guy nor his parents sin. God's getting ready to do something bigger in his life. And then Jesus does something fascinating. I couldn't make this up. So you need to check me on it this afternoon. But after Jesus says this, you know what he does? There's no lie. He spits. Like, it seems rude, right? He's like, spits right in the ground, man. But he doesn't just spit. You know, can imagine? So put yourself in the blind guy. He can't see a thing. He just hears voices and he hears some guy spit. My guess is he'd been spat upon before. My guess is. Jesus doesn't just spit, but then he bends over. We've seen him do that before in John 8. And he begins with his spit making a mud pie. You can't make this stuff up. You read it for yourself. But he doesn't just make a mud pie. He takes that mud that he makes from his spit in the dirt and he rubs it on the blind guy's eyes. Can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples? You're like, hello. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Because now you got to read this. you got to understand this. You're like, guy's blind. Now he's got mud in his eyes. He still don't see a thing. And then Jesus has the audacity while the guy's blind, can't see a thing with mud in his eyes, to say, hey, I want you to go do something. Yo, I'm blind. Now i got mud in my eyes. You want me to go do something? He can't see a thing. All he can do is hear his voice. I need to say that again. It's going to make sense later. He can't see a thing. All he can do is hear Jesus' voice. Jesus said, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And at that point, the man has a decision to make. I'm either going to listen to his voice or I'm not. He decides to listen to his voice. He decides to listen and do what Jesus tells him to do. And if you read the story, 
He goes and he worships, and blind guy now sees guy. Isn't that incredible? All of a sudden, he walks away from that pool. He'd never seen a tree before. Bam, that's what it looks like. That's what those birds look like. That's what you look like. I thought you'd be better looking than that, right? I mean, all of a sudden, he sees things he'd never seen before. All of a sudden, voices aren't just voices. They got a face attached. Blind guy now sees guy, and it creates a stir in the community because his neighbors are over here, and they're like, isn't that the blind guy who was begging? Some others are like, nah, just looks like him. That's his twin. And they begin to back and forth. No, I think that, no, it just looks like him. And, and you got to read this. I mean, I'd love to have been there. Blind guys are like, no, I'm me, <laughs> you know? Like, it's really me. Which begs the question, they look at him and say, well, if that's you, then how in the world do you see? And he's like, you'll never believe it. But this guy, and we have no indication he knew who Jesus was at this point. Okay, stay with me on this. He's like, this guy came up and like, he spit in the ground. I know, it's crazy. Next thing I know, he's rubbing mud in my eyes. And then he told me to go wash and I went and washed and bam, I see. And they're like, you gotta be crazy, man. That's no way, right? But the Pharisees, listen close, this is gonna make sense later. The Pharisees, who are they? Listen, they're the religious leaders slash shepherds of the people. You tracking? They are the religious shepherds of the people. They totally overlook the fact that there's a guy who could not see and he now sees. And you know what they get focused on? Jesus did what? Yeah. Spit in the dirt. Mixed it up. Made mud. And they couldn't get off that. You know why? Because it was against the Sabbath for him to do that. You weren't allowed to take a liquid, mix it with something to get a substance. You couldn't make your oatmeal on the Sabbath, right? You couldn't make a smoothie. And Jesus had all the gall to make a mud smoothie on the Sabbath, and they couldn't get past that. Jesus worked on the Sabbath. And so what happens is the people are in such a stir about this. They're like, man, I don't know. And so they're like, get his parents. And so they get the blind guy's parents like, is this your kid? They're like, Yep, birth certificate, that's our kid. We know that's our kid, but then don't miss this. They're like, but we ain't real sure how in the world he sees. And then they don't want to get involved. They say, don't ask us. He's of age, ask him. I bet this dude's over here like, thanks, mom and dad, you know? Why in the world they say that? Because if you read the story, ready? The religious shepherds, did I say that already? The Pharisees, the religious shepherds had already decided that anybody who sided with Jesus and said he was really who he said he was, they were going to be kicked out of church. They were going to be excommunicated out of the synagogue. And so these parents, that would have been a big deal spiritually and socially. They're like, we ain't going there. They were afraid. And that led these religious shepherds to go back to the blind guy. Verse 24, I love this. A second time, they summoned the man. That is the man who had been blind. And they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. I think the guy's like, okay, I have been. And then they say, we know this man, which man? Jesus is a sinner. And I love this guy's response. He doesn't know that much about Jesus yet. And he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. Not sure. You know, one thing I know, you see this? I was blind, but now I see. Like, I, I couldn't see. I, I don't know what y'all want to get in a debate about. You can, I don't know. I don't know much about, but I, I can see. And they're like, listen. Verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, they at least hate Jesus, right? Verse 27. 
And this blind guy has guts. He has guts. He answered, I told you already. He's talking to the religious shepherds, the leaders. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? <laughs> I love this. Do you guys want to become his disciples too? Ooh, somebody said, it's on now, right? Look what happens, verse 28. In fact, they are so insulted by this. Like they hurled their insults at him. They're like, I can't even believe you had the nerve, right? And then they're like, you're, you're one of his followers, but not us. They, they said to him, we follow Moses because we know that God spoke to him. And this blind guy, he's like the best theologian of them all. He's like, yeah, but y'all are incredible. You ever heard of God listening to somebody that was a sinner and opening a blind guy's eyes? Like there must be something going on here. And they get so mad when he says this. Verse 34, they say to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And what does it say? They what? They threw him out. You're out. Excommunicated. Done. Excluded. Don't come back. If you read the rest of the story, Jesus went and found the dude that got kicked out of church, right? He went and found him. I love that. And he said, hey, man, do you, uh, do you believe in the Son of Man? The, the guy's on. He's like, yeah, I don't know who he is. Like, he still doesn't know who Jesus is claiming to be, right? And Jesus looks at him. And he says, I'm he. And it says, the man believed and worshipped. You see, unless you understand that story, you'll never understand what Jesus says in John 10, verse 11. You see what he says in John 10, verse 11? He says, I am the good shepherd. Why is it important for me to understand that, to understand what Jesus is saying? Because Jesus is speaking Listen close to the religious leaders, the religious shepherds, the Pharisees, the religious and Jewish elites, the people who just kicked this dude out. And he's saying, listen, I'm the good shepherd as opposed to y'all bad shepherds. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the shepherd that's gathering my flock. You're, it seems like you're scattering. I'm the shepherd that guides them. I'm the shepherd that cares for them. I love them. I lay my life down for them. I guard them. I am the good shepherd. What does he mean when he says that? Well, I think if you look at John 10, beginning verse 1, there's several things that are important for us to see. He says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. He's talking to the religious shepherds. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. Look here a second. Raise your hand if you're a shepherd in the room. Any shepherds? I got any shepherds? I, I haven't had any all morning, right? No shepherds? Here's, I got to teach you some shepherding stuff. See, here's what would have happened. At night, a shepherd would have brought his sheep to a pen. He would have brought his sheep to a pen, and they would have kept them in the pen, and the, there would have been a stone wall around there. Sometimes multiple shepherds would have brought their sheep to that pen. And what would have happened? And there would have been an opening for the sheep to come in and out. And so at night, what the shepherd would have done more than likely is he would have laid across that gate. He would have been the gate in and out as the sheep were kept in there. Jesus is simply giving them a picture. Verse 2, and he says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen for his voice. He calls his own sheep by 
name, that's going to be key later, leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. His sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away because they don't recognize his voice. Verse 6, Jesus was simply using a figure of speech. Pharisees didn't understand. Verse 7, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What's he saying? Three things. Here's the first thing he's saying. He said, I am the gatherer and I'm the gate. Now, I need to help you understand this. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. And he said, what that means is I'm the one that's gathering the flock and I'm the gate. The picture would have been of a shepherd forming his flock. And Jesus is just simply drawing a picture here and he's saying i'm the shepherd i'm gathering the flock and i'm gathering the flock listen this is key a lot of people you don't know this you grew up hearing about i'm gathering the flock out of the pen like they're in the pen i'm the shepherd and i'm the one calling them out of the pen into the flock which begs the question stay with me it's like Okay, so Jesus is the good shepherd. What is the pen that he's calling them out of? Don't miss this. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's saying, I'm the gate. I'm calling my flock out of your religion, your Judaism. And he says, I'm the gate. I am the only way out of your lifeless, robotic religion. And I am the only way into the flock God is forming. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is like, I'm the gate. I'm gathering a flock. And I'm calling. He's talking to Jewish people in this particular instance. And he's saying, as I gather my flock, I'm calling them out of your lifeless, stoic, legalistic religion into a relationship, into the flock God's forming. He's saying, I'm the only way out of that, and I'm the only way into this flock God is forming. And he's like, I'm not just calling it out of your flock. But there's other flocks, non-Jewish flocks. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Here's the bottom line what he's saying. He said, I'm gathering a flock. I'm the good shepherd. I'm gathering a flock of sheep. Sheep in this story is you and I. He said, I'm get- and I am the only way into that flock. That's what he's saying. Begs the question, okay, fair question. Then how in the world can Jesus say this? How can he say that he is the good shepherd who's gathering and he's the gate, he's the only gate into the flock? What credentials does Jesus have that gives him the right to say that? I'm gonna gonna show you something. Look here a second, I I really wanna talk. I'm gonna show you something that's so important because in this passage is a very foundational biblical truth. That, that you've got to understand about Jesus. How in the world can he say he's the gate into the flock? Look at verse 11. He says, well, here's how. I'm the good shepherd. That's how. And the good shepherd lays down his life. What's that next word? For his sheep. You ought to circle that word for in your Bibles. If you don't write in your Bible, I'd start today because I want you to write this in your margin. That word for is a preposition. You can forget that, but here's what it means. It means in the place of. So let me read it again. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life in the place of the sheep. 
Look at verse 15. I lay down my life in the place of the sheep. The one who lays down his life is the gate. He's the only way to get into this flock God is forming. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. Here's what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the good shepherd. This is so key. I voluntarily substitute my life in your place. Some of you that, that have been around church, right? Maybe you've heard of the, the, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Bam. Like he voluntarily, nobody took it from him. It helps make Easter make sense. You're going to watch the Passion of the Christ this week. You're like, I don't know whether to feel bad for Jesus. I want you to see the good shepherd voluntarily laying down his life in place of the sheep. It doesn't pop for us this morning. Here's why. Here's why. We're not first century Jews. Imagine being a first century Jew. For centuries, what would Jews have been doing? They would have been bringing their what? Their lambs, their sheep. Why? To be sacrificed. Why? Because they were sinners. Right? You tracking? Jesus steps on the scene. He says, guess what? I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. So therefore, the good shepherd is also the sacrificial lamb, voluntarily laying down his life. Jesus said, I'm the gate. I am the gatherer. I'm putting together a flock. And he says, I'm going to call people out of their lifeless religion. And then I'm going to gather people who've been excluded from religion. You're saying, how do you know that? Look back at John 9, verse 35. When Jesus heard the blind guy was thrown out of church, what did he do? He went and what? Found him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Why is this important? Look here, and then we've got to go on. Why is this important? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate and I'm the gatherer. And for some of you, that's so important because you need to know the good shepherd's here to gather because you've been excluded all your life. Some of you have been excluded. You have people that are excluding you with their words. They've told you you're nothing but a piece of trash. You'll never amount to anything. In fact, some of you have church experiences where you've been excluded. You've been told not to show back up. We don't need that kind of riffraff around here. You've been excluded, and I want you to hear me say this this morning. Jesus said, listen, I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for you. I am the only gate in. I am the one who will search and find those who are lost. And some of you have been excluded, and people have told you you don't belong, and he is saying, listen, I'm the good shepherd. Some of you haven't been excluded by other people. You are the one who excludes yourself because you have determined in your mind. You've determined in your mind that somehow you don't belong. That God wouldn't have a space for you. That you're too bad. And what the good shepherd says to you this morning, he said, listen, being included in my flock, in, in, in my family, let's think of it that way, has nothing to do with your goodness, nor does it have anything to do with your badness. But it has to do with everything about me laying down my life. I am gathering a flock. To be honest with you, some of you need to know this this morning because you wouldn't be somebody who's been excluded. You grew up in church and you very much feel included. In fact, you're a little bit proud of the fact that you're religious, you're moral, you're good. But if you're honest this morning, your religion and your Christian experience has been nothing but robotic, lifeless, legalist. 
And Jesus is simply saying this to you who are locked up in that sheep pen of your religion. He's saying, listen, I am the gate. And the only way for you to go from that lifeless religion into a life-filled relationship is through me. That's what he's saying. How can he say that? Because he laid down his life. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm gathering a flock. I'm the gate. I'm the only way out of your lifeless religion. I'm the only way into the flock God is forming. It's not all he says. Verse 2. Look at this. This is so fascinating. Verse 2. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his, what's it say out loud? His voice. Look at verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I am the gatherer, and I am the gate. But I want you to write this down. He's saying, I'm the guide. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you. You need to know this. Jesus is saying, I know you. I know you to the very bottom of you. I know you, and I know things about you that no one else knows about you. And then he says, I love you completely unconditionally and then he says I came to give you life to its full and he says I want to be the one who leads you who guides you how in the world stay with me on this picture how in the world does Jesus the good shepherd lead us you ought to write this down somewhere he leads us with the sound of his voice he says my sheep hear my voice and this is very fascinating to me Because I learned some things about sheep this last week that might help us understand this. Here's what I learned about sheep. Sheep have incredible side-to-side vision, peripheral vision. So so sheep can be out there doing whatever, and they're kind of doing this thing, right? And they can see beside them really, really good. Sheep have awful forward vision, depth perception. And so what happens, I read commentators on this, because I ain't no shepherd, right? So I was dependent on sheep people, right? And uh, I read that what happens is sheep will spend a lot of their time looking at what's going on beside them and around them. And they'll just kind of do what others are doing. And this is where their focus is, is right here. And it's such to the point where they will stay here, do what others are doing, and just follow the pack right here to some sheep will hang out in a pasture. They'll eat it till it is totally parched. There's no vegetation left, and then they'll begin eating their own excrement. I can't make that up. Unless they listen for a shepherd who will lead them forward. That's interesting to me. Because Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And following Jesus is a matter of what? Faith, not sight. And he's saying, if left to your own devices, you as sheep are going to just simply look at what everybody else is doing. This is what culture is doing. This is what I'm comfortable with. And he is the shepherd who we hear his voice through the word of God who's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to follow me. 
I want you to walk where you wouldn't walk on your own because you have your eyes fixed here. You're looking at what they're doing. You're comparing with them. You're seeing what culture's comfortable with. You're doing what you feel convenient. You're looking here, and he's saying, my voice is calling you there. And only when you follow my voice will you experience what I came to give you, thus abundant life. Guys, this is fascinating to me. There's something interesting. I don't know if, if, if this caught you. It caught me. Anybody in the room wonder why in the world in John 9, Jesus, if he's God, he can come to the blind guy and say, bam, you're healed, you can see, right? I better get one amen for that. Can Jesus do that? Yeah, he bet he can do that. He could have come to that dude and said, you see, now you go. Remember this, Jesus never does a miracle for the sake of the miracle. It's always pointing to something a lot more, a lot more significant And Jesus doesn't do that, and I'm struck with the fact that he comes to this blind guy, and he rubs dirt in his eyes, and the blind guy can't see anything. He has to trust what? The voice of Jesus. The blind guy would never see unless he followed the voice of Jesus. Listen to me. You will never see abundant life. You will never see the life Jesus came to give. Until you begin dialing in and listening to the voice of Jesus and you begin trusting what maybe you can't see by sight, but when you read in his word and he calls you to something, he's like, I came to give you life, but I'm afraid. I came to give you life, but that's not something I've ever done before. I came to give you life, but no one else, no one else in our culture is doing. I came to give you life. Jesus says at the end of John 9, the only guy seeing at the end of John 9 is the guy who was blind. Why? Because he listened to the voice of Jesus. Why is that important? Because chances are there are some of you in the room who are like, I love Good Shepherd, but you've quit hearing Jesus. If you're honest, not picking, it's just honest. You're like, I've quit hearing Jesus. I'm too busy. I got my business to run. I got my plans to carry out. I got my, you know, and, and so, Dan, I'm going to, what's everybody else? And they're going to get ahead, and this is what, and this is what. And Jesus wants to call you into something fuller, full of life. He's like, we trust my voice. I'm the good shepherd. Some of us, and we're just being honest in the room, it's, it's not the fact that we've quit hearing Jesus. We just quit listening. You say, is there a difference? Yeah, there's a difference. <laughs> Because you hear full well what Jesus is saying, but you quit listening, and here's the difference. Listening to Jesus is all about following what you hear. You hear him. You know exactly. But, 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 but it's something that you're not sure that you want to take the risk. You're not sure that you want to follow. And Jesus is saying, listen, I came to give you life to its full. That's what John 10.10 10 says. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give life to its full. And he says, follow me. But Jesus, I don't know. And what happens is we end up focused right here, never moving. He's like, I want you to experience this. He says something interesting in John 10, verses 2 and 3. I got to take a minute to point it out to you because it's fascinating to me. He says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. This is interesting. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. I looked at that. He calls his own sheep by, say it out loud, name. Listen, I've heard this preached, taught, written on. And I've heard people say, you know, that means Jesus, the shepherd, loves us personally and intimately. And yes, yes, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's 
part of it, I'm sure, but I don't think that's the main thing he's trying to say here. I think there's something really profound here. That, that our good shepherd wants to guide us, and he guides us by name. And I think that he calls us by name because when you read God's story, guys, this is fascinating to me, when somebody's life is transformed because they said yes to God, they said yes to Jesus, when their life is transformed throughout God's story, you see him over and over and over again doing what? Giving them a new name. And that name represented they had a new identity and they had a new purpose. Therefore, you had Saul, who is now Paul. You had Cephas, who is now Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You have Abram, who's now Abraham. And when we say yes to Jesus, stay with me. He's the good shepherd. He gives us a new name. He says, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. You now are a light that points to the light. You are my ambassadors. You are my children. You're part of my body. And he says, I want to guide you by name because I want you to walk into this abundant life that's found in you living following my voice into your identity and purpose. Here's my problem. I'm sure I'm not alone. I hope I'm not alone. Many times I get frustrated with my life. I get frustrated with Jesus because I want this abundant life, but I define what that abundant life looks like. It probably has a lot of money, great health, convenient circumstances. And Jesus, if you would just give me my abundant life, I would be comfortable. It would be safe. Everything would be secure. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not, I don't, I, I didn't come to give you the abundant life that you define. I came to give you something that will blow your mind. And he said, if you'll trust me, but I'm scared, I know. But if you'll trust me, but that's kind of risky, I know. But he calls me by name. He says, listen, when you begin walking in light of who you are in Jesus on purpose for the purpose he created you for, that's where abundant life is found. He says, I'm your guide. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who laid down my life for you. I learned this about sheep this week. The sheep, a lot of times, are, no offense, stupid and stubborn. And when I think about the fact that many times I'm like a sheep, I don't know about you, I think of Isaiah 53, it says this We all, like sheep, have what? Gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Begs the question. When the sheep didn't listen to the voice of the good shepherd, how in the world did a shepherd guide those sheep? Well, some of you all grew up in church and you love the songs like Gentle Shepherd, all that stuff is cool, great, love those songs. But listen, here's how a shepherd would guide those sheep. You know what he'd do? When that sheep kept wandering away, you know what he'd do, right? He'd go find that sheep. He'd throw that sheep to the ground, kind of stun them, right? I read some commentators said sometimes he'd break the legs of sheep that kept wandering away on purpose. Why? Because then he'd wrap that sheep around his neck because he wanted that sheep close to him. Because he knew that where he was going, that sheep kept running off, was where that, sh that sheep was going to be safe. That sheep kept running into danger. And he's like, okay, I love this sheep. Listen. He's a good shepherd. He guides us by the sound of his voice. But sometimes I'm stubborn. You may not be. Sometimes I'm stupid. You may not be. And when those times come, you know what? He guides me with the staff of his discipline. You know why? Because he disciplines those he loves. He came to give me life to the full. And it's in those moments that he says, I want you to recognize my love for you. And that when I discipline you, it's because I want you to experience life 
and life to the full. Why do I tell you that? Because some of you know exactly what that's like. You're like, man, man, I keep wanting to run and do my own thing. And he's like, oh, I love, I love you. I'm going to come find you. Right? He's a gatherer. He's the gate. He's the guide. There's one more thing. I got I to gotta race through this for the sake of time. But in John 10, look here a second. Let me give you a little context. About two and a half months pass in, in John 10 so that when you get to the end of the passage, they're celebrating Hanukkah. You, you remember that? And Jesus has another conversation with the same kind of Jewish elite people. And he's like, you still, still don't get it. And the reason you don't get it is because you're not my sheep. And then he says something that is very fascinating, verse 27. He said, because my sheep listen to my voice, I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Look here a second. He's the gate, the gatherer. He's the guide. I want you to write this down. The good shepherd is the guarantee. The shepherd who saves me, leads me, guarantees my security. He guarantees my security. I'm secure in my salvation. This passage is rich with Bible teaching, guys. Some of you have heard substitutionary atonement. He took my place. This is eternal security. That when I say yes to Jesus, I am secure in the shepherd's hand. I'm secure in my salvation. I'm secure in my identity. I'm secure in my purpose. Here's why this is important. Then we're done. Here's why this is important. Because security goes hand in hand. Look up here a second. goes hand in hand with intimacy. It goes hand in hand. Here's how I know this. Some of you all are married. And I can tell you this, that the level of intimacy, not just physically, I'm talking emotionally, spiritually, all those things that you enjoy with your spouse has everything to do with the security you feel in your relationship. So the more security there is, the more you're willing to be transparent and let them see into you, which is what intimacy is, into me see. You tracking? And so what Jesus is saying, listen, you say, yes, I'm the guide, and no one, no one, imagine them listening Blind guy got kicked out. There's no security in that, right? But he's like, you say yes to me, no one can snatch you. And in that posture, you can begin to enjoy intimacy with Jesus. Here's why this is important. Some of you have been going to church all your life, and you know the rules, you know the routine, you know the robotic things to do. But if you were honest this morning, you have no intimacy with Jesus. You're trying to work so that he'll be okay with you, that you'll get approval. You're trying to do things so that you'll get the right verdict. And he's like, listen, you're secure. And in that security, we can enjoy intimacy of relationship. And when you see your life in the shepherd's hands, listen, your life will look different. All of a sudden, those mundane moments, mom, that you every day walk through, they become divine opportunities. Why? Because I'm living them out in the hands of my shepherd. All of a sudden, those temporary pains and problems that you have, and some of you are going through some deep ones, they become things that have a bigger purpose. There's an eternal picture. Jesus said, God's at work at the beginning of John 9. And even, listen, some of you need to hear this, death itself cannot snatch me from my shepherd's hand. 
He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy, but I'm asking to trust my voice. You're secure in my hands. I'm the gate. I'm gathering a flock. So that's what Jesus meant. It kind of begs the question, then what do I do with what he meant? I think there's three questions we ask and then we're done. I'm going to invite Ryan to go ahead and set up. And I'd invite you to write these three questions down because I think they're relevant. If Jesus is the good shepherd and that's what he meant by being the good shepherd, I need to ask myself, who am I trusting to get in? Who am I trusting to get in? He's forming a flock. And he said the, the one who lays down their life is the only one who gets to decide who's in. He's like... I am the only way in. Some of you have determined or people have told you that the only way to be okay with God, to be, to be in his family is if you are really, really good. And he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Some of you have already come to the conclusion, I'm so bad, there's no way. And Jesus is like, no, I'm a shepherd. I'm forming a flock. I'm the gate in. I love you. I died in your place. Somebody's like, I, I didn't know that. Like, what do I do with that? It's this simple. You, 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 maybe this morning you're hearing the voice of the good shepherd Jesus. And he's like, I love you. I'm inviting you in. And, and, and it's simply you saying, I know that Jesus is the only one who can save me. I want to say yes. You're like, Dan, it's, it's, it's that simple? Yeah. It wasn't that simple for Jesus. It's not like this free get into heaven card. It cost Jesus his life. But that's how much he loves you this morning. There's a whole bunch of us, maybe the question we need to ask is, am I listening to the right voice? Because if we were honest, we, we live life just like this and we can hear what everybody else is saying, our peers, culture's telling us we got to do this. This is what it means to be successful. This is what it means to get ahead. This is what it means for me to be popular. This is what it means. And Jesus is like, hey, like, I came to give you life to the full. Probably means you're going to take steps if you listen to my voice that you wouldn't take. And, and for some of us, that's the question this morning. It's like, are we even hearing him? Like if we're honest and I'm not picking, but we know more about what Hollywood says about Jesus than what Jesus said about Jesus. And he's like, I have a lot to say. The Bible's not boring. Some of us can hear him, but we quit listening. If we're honest, we just quit listening. We quit listening because it's too hard. It's like, it's too uncomfortable. And for some of us, it's become robotic. And he's like, man, I want to take you into something. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be times where it's tough. But I promise you, I will guide you and you will be secure in my hands. I promise you. And there's some of us, maybe the question we need to ask is, is my security, is understanding who I am in Jesus cultivating intimacy? Because my guess is there's a whole bunch of us in this room that we've been religious for a while, maybe. But if we were totally honest, we're just going through the motions. And this morning, he's like, that's not what I came for. I think if, if Jesus, good shepherd, was here, he's like, I want to call you into something that is full, that's abundant, that's life-giving, that's robust, that thrives. So I think that's what he was saying. And that invitation's open for all of us this morning. He said, I am the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so, God, I am grateful that 
this picture has power. It's not just this cute little thing on a, on a blanket that makes me feel warm and fuzzy, but it has power. I pray for my friends, some in this room who've never crossed the gate from religion into a relationship. I pray this morning would be that moment. That might be you. And right there in your seat, you can talk to God. I don't want to cheat this moment. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I, I, I this morning want to say, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the one who came and died in my place for my sin. And this morning, I want you to be my savior and my shepherd. For some of you, you've tuned Jesus out. And this morning, he's saying, I want you to hear my voice and follow I know it, it doesn't make sense. It's scary. I know life's hard right now, but if you follow me in the security of our relationship, you'll experience an intimacy that will blow your mind. So God, I pray for my friends this morning. I pray that wherever you need to take us, however you need to challenge us, however you need to lean into us, you would do this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.